0: Thank you so much for your mercies. The reason why we're all here is because of your love. There wouldn't be any other reason why we have gathered here this morning unless you loved us first. And so God, in your love, would you continue to help us now, continue to worship you to do the very thing we were designed to do and to hear your word, the very word we were meant to hear and believe from the beginning. And so God, would you do in us what we can't do ourselves? Would you give us hearts and ears to hear and strength to understand and live all that you call us to in your word? Help us now, we pray. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Well, it's a joy to be with you this morning, and we are going to continue in our stroll through the book of John and the gospel of John. We're in the middle of a series in this wonderful book, and so if you have a Bible, crack it open, it's going to be near the end of your uh, Bible, but at the very beginning of the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Ushers are handing those out, just raise your hand, and an usher will put one in into it. If you don't own a Bible, you get to keep that. That's always really good to bring home and read. Well, there's lots of different things that move us. I was recently thinking about all the different ways that I get moved. I got in my car this morning, and my car can take me from A to B. I can get into a bus. It can take me from this bus stop to this stop to this station. I can get on the train. It can take me from the suburbs into the city. There's lots of ways I can get moved. But there's other ways as well. Maybe you made a move and it got you a Valentine's date this past February 14th. And maybe you swiped your credit card and it moved you into debt (laughs) on that date. In a few months, I'm going to be remembering two words that I said about 19 years ago that moved me into marriage when I said I do. Lots of different ways that we get moved Into different spaces and places and into realities. And as we look here into John 3, we're going to be looking at someone who's able to move us in a way that no one else can. And move us in a way that we need most. So why don't we jump in here. John 3, we'll pick it up in verse 16. It reads, For God so loved the world... That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that if so that by it it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. John is carrying on from where he was just describing a whole conversation between Jesus. And another Israelite named Nicodemus. Now as Pastor Ted talked about last week, this Nicodemus was not just any Israelite. He wasn't your average Jew. He was a Pharisee. And not just a Pharisee, but a Pharisee that was on the Sanhedrin. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, that council of religious rulers of Israel at that time. And not just any member, but he was one of the best teachers of the law in his day. This is a pretty elite guy. And Jesus said, it's all nothing. It doesn't actually help you get into the kingdom. All of those credentials mean nothing at the door of heaven. You have to be born again. And then Jesus just finishes off by saying, not only do you have to be born again, but anyone can be born again. Anyone can be saved by trusting in Jesus. This is where we pick it up. This is where we pick it up in John 3, 16. Perhaps one of the most loved verses, most well-known verses, memorized verses there are in the Bible. This is the verse that you see at ball games and people kind of waving in the stands. This is the verse that's on t-shirts and hats on billboards when you're driving down the 401 or I-75. John 3, 16. Even atheists know this verse. Why? Because it's so filled and packed with the truth that we see all throughout the Bible in one verse. So we're going to just take some time to look at it in detail, and particularly how Jesus moves us. And the first way that we see Jesus move us is from death to life, from death to life. If you believe in Jesus, he will move you from death to life. You may remember how John three sixteen starts. It says for. Already we need to kind of take a pause and remember that that word for helps us to know that it's connected to the verse before it to explain why. Why is it that Jesus said anyone, anyone at all, anyone, whoever believes in him can be saved. This is shocking because at that time, the Jews thought that when the Messiah came, he would come for them. He would come and save them and judge all those other Gentiles, all those people from other nations, all those sinners. But Jesus comes as the Messiah and says, no, I've come to save anyone. Everyone Whoever trusts in me, Jew or Gentile, I will save. This is shocking news to not only Nicodemus, but all those who are reading this at that time and hearing this at that time. And it's not as though when Jesus says, whoever believes in me will have eternal life, it's not the kind of belief that as Pastor Marvin was talking about a few weeks ago, that You know, just kind of gives mental assent to Jesus as, you know, a really helpful moral teacher, said some really good things, or a really handy miracle worker, that was really helpful. No, it's the kind of Jesus that you believe in that is the lifted up kind. The kind of Jesus that gets lifted up on a cross, as verse 14 and 15 describe, just before John 3.16. The kind of Jesus that dies on a cross, not for anything he did, but for what we did. The kind of Jesus that uh, takes our place and switches spots with us. That kind of a savior. This, this kind of trading places sort of Messiah is the kind of savior that Jesus is. That we need to believe in. As First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. There's the swap. There's the trade. That he might bring us to God. And why would, why would he do this? Why, what would move Jesus and motivate Jesus to do this? For God so loved the world. This is the first time that John mentions the word love. And he doesn't, you'll notice, say that Jesus loves us now, now that we've kind of got cleaned up. Or that he will love us once we get our act together. No, it says God so loved, past tense. He loved us when we were messed up, when we were sinning, when we didn't have it all together, when there was nothing lovely about us. That's when he loved us, when we were his enemies. That's the kind of love God has. That's why he, Romans puts it this way, that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In another letter that John writes in 1 John 4, it says that God loved us first. He initiated, he made the first move. He's the one who loved us even while we were sinners. That's why that word so, it's only two letters, But it's so packed with power. God so loved. His love is so measureless, as we just sang. So immense that he would be moved to love. And love in such a way that he would give. He would give something so precious, so valuable, so priceless. That he would give his only son. His one-of-a-kind son. His unique Son. That's what he would give. He didn't give us some advice. He didn't give us a handout. He didn't give us a hand up. He gave us God himself. He gave the very second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, Emmanuel Jesus Christ. That's who he gave. We couldn't buy him. We couldn't earn him. We couldn't drag him out of heaven. He willingly and lovingly came. He was given. To us, undeserved, unearned, graciously, mercifully, kindly, lovingly, by God. This is why in Galatians 1 it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God and the Father. Jesus himself describes his mission like this. In Matthew 20, he says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give, give his life as a ransom for many. There's that swap again, that trade. And who did God have in mind that he was going to direct this gift to? Who was it that he was aiming his love at, says the world the world. God so loved the world. The world here simply means everyone on planet earth. The whole of humanity, all of sinful humanity, all the human beings on this globe that are sinful, he loved so much that he would send his son and make a way for them to be saved. Uh, It might be helpful here just to see the different ways that God loves, very similar to how you and I love in different ways. I love my wife, my spouse in a very certain way, which is a little different than the way I love my kids, which is also different than the way that I love my neighbor, which is altogether different than the way I love the Grand Canyon. I love them all, but in different ways. And God, similarly, loves all of these things, but in different ways. As D.A. Carson summarizes, God has a type of love for his creation that he made. He has a type of love for his people, his chosen people. He also has a type of love for his son, Jesus. But the love that we often forget about that God has is the kind of love that he has for the world, for fallen, sinful humans, billions of them. All over this planet. that he loves them. He loves them. And we often forget that this God would actually love people like that. You may even be here a little skeptical of this idea that God would actually love the world. I mean, aren't, isn't the world full of people and people are sinners and so God has to hate the world because God hates sin? So how can God love this world? Well, it's true that God hates sin and that he will judge sin and sinners one day, justly and fairly. He'll right all wrongs. He'll bring everything to account on that last day as the perfect judge. Psalm 7 actually gives us a sobering description of this judgment. It says, God is a righteous judge. That means every decision he makes is perfect, it's right, it's fair. A God who feels indignation every day. He sees all the sin that happens every day around the globe. And, it, and he's angry at that sin. If a man does not repent, if, it doesn't, if a person doesn't turn to God from their evil ways, God will wet his sword he has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. In fact, God will actually judge the world on that last day through Jesus. Acts sixteen, act, sorry, 17 describes this and says, Because God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this, he's given assurance to all by raising that man, him, from the dead. And this is Jesus, the resurrected king, who is going to judge all the world on a future date, on a fixed day, in which he will bring to account every person and everything that every human has ever thought and said and done. Everything will be brought to account. All rights, all wrongs will be righted. All books will get balanced. All injustices and oppressions will cease. Finally, we will hear a righteous verdict, a good and fair verdict. But it doesn't mean that it will go well for us on that day because we're on the wrong side of that verdict That's why God sent Jesus. He was moved by love to send his son early, ahead of time. Before that day, whenever that final day comes, when Jesus comes a second time, God sent his son early, ahead of time, the first time, to come and make a way for the sinful world and the people in it to be rescued from that judgment and know God's love and eternal life. This is, this is how God is. He's the kind of God who's full of love and mercy that makes a way that isn't cutting corners, a, a good and solid way in which he can arrive early ahead of the judgment and save us. Jesus describes God himself in this way. He says, for God makes his Son rise on the evil, and on the good. Did you notice whose sun that is? You know that ball of burning gas you saw on the way in? Did you, did you notice maybe the light it was shining? The, the warmth maybe you felt in your car? Hundreds of thousands of people across Mississauga, Brampton, Milton, the GTA, Orangeville. They were feeling that same sun. It's God's sun. He's the one who causes it to rise every day and give its light and give its warmth, give its life. It's his son and he gives it every day. He causes it to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. That's the kind of God he is. He's so lavish and generous that daily and abundantly he gives to people whether they thank him or not. He gives them laughter. He gives them food. He gives them rest and sleep and work and employment. He gives them marriage and friends. He gives them breath. He gives them life. In Ezekiel 18, God himself says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Declares the Lord God. And not rather that he should turn from his way and live? God wants us. He wants the world to live. 1 Timothy 2 says, God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, you may have heard the cliche, God loves the sinner but hates the sin. Well, yes, but it's missing the most shocking part is that, yes, God hates the sin and loves the sinner. But this is the shocking thing, is that God actually loves the sinner he hates, the one that's sinning. This is the thing that should shock us, that's so surprising, so amazing, that the same God who is just, who has to bring justice to the sin that the sinner is doing, is the very very same God that loves the sinner that's sinning. He loves the sinner. The very person you think that he shouldn't, or wouldn't, or couldn't, he loves. D.A. Carson. D.A. Carson. Helps us clarify this reality, this amazing love of God. That there's nothing intrinsically impossible about wrath and love being directed toward the same individual or people at the same time. God in His perfections must be wrathful against His rebel image bearers, that's us, for they have offended Him because we've sinned and God's just. He has to deal with our sin. But God in his perfections must be loving towards his rebel image bearers. For he is that kind of a God. God is love. He cannot help but love those made in his image. And this love moves him to send his son. Moves him to make a way in order to save these very people under his judgment. Now you might say, so what? I mean, why do I need to know about God's love? Why do I need to know whether God sent his son or not? What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is death. There's a word in verse 16 called perish. And that word perish doesn't just mean that you're, you know, slightly beyond your expiration date. Or just a little bruised and rotten on the outside. It literally means to be destroyed, ruined, decayed, holy, not just on the outside, everywhere. And you'll notice that the word perish in John 3.16, should not perish but have eternal life, it's contrasted with eternal life, which means both are eternal realities, eternal life and eternal perishing. Jesus warns us about this. In Matthew 25 when he says, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Perishing is described as eternal punishment. Or as Paul talks about it in 2 Thessalonians, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Away from the presence of the Lord and away from the glory of his might. This is not some annihilationism where the, the soul just kind of evaporates and disappears and doesn't exist anymore. No, the Bible is clear that this is dis- the talking about a perishing that is unending. It doesn't stop. It's eternal. It goes on and on. This unraveling of humanity, this decay, this destruction, it is eternal. And in a way, it's, it's almost what people wanted. When, when people reject God, they reject all things God. All of his love, all of his kindness, all of his joys, all of his comforts. They set all of that aside with God. And they wanted to do their own thing. And God hands them over to their own thing, which is sin. And this is sin unbridled. This is, this is a place void of the love and the comfort of God. Only wrath there exists in this unending, conscious, fully aware torment. This is the very thing that God warns us about. This is why God wants us to know about his love and why he was so moved to send his son so that the son could come and make a way for us to be rescued out of that place. He has sent his son so that anyone, anyone, whoever believes in him may move from death to life. Do you believe this to be true? Do you believe this to be true for you? Maybe you're in one of these two spots. It's amazing how Jesus with one word can confront our pride. Maybe you're kind of in a spot where you're like the Jews of Jesus' day who literally thought, I'm too good to perish. I mean, do you have any idea, Jesus, how good of a person I am? And Jesus humbles that person and says, if you do not believe in me, you will perish in all of your goodness. And he speaks to the other person, maybe the Gentile of Jesus' day, and maybe this is kind of where you find yourself today where you're like, I'm too bad to be saved. I mean, Jesus, do you have any idea what I've done? And Jesus humbles that person as well and says, you're right. You are bad. And yet if you trust in me, you too can be saved. You too can be moved from death to life. Jesus, with one word, humbles every human, no matter how they perceive themselves, and says, come. Come to me, trust in me, and I will give you eternal life. Do you believe this to be true? Not just for anyone or others, but you. As we keep reading, we see why Jesus has the right to move us. The right to move us from death to life. And it's because if we believe in Jesus... He's able to move us from condemnation to salvation. Condemnation to salvation. In verse 18, sorry, verse 17, we see another little word there, for. And again, it's doing the same thing that it did before. It's relating us to the verse before it and explaining why. Why is it that Jesus was given? Why did he come? Why was he sent? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus came to save, not condemn. The word condemn here, it means to be judged guilty and liable to punishment. And that's not why Jesus came. The reason he came the first time was the rescue mission, as we mentioned. The first time was to come and rescue us, not to bring about the judgment that was gonna happen that one day in the future, on that fixed day. He came early on the rescue mission to save us, to make a way for us to be rescued. Well, what if I don't wanna be rescued? What if I think things are going great? My life's good, I think I'm fine. I don't think I need to get rescued. Well, that would be like refusing a lifeboat on the Titanic. Jesus says in verse 18, whoever believes in him isn't condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The Bible says that we are not fine, that we're not doing OK, that we are already condemned. Everyone on this planet, everyone is guilty of sin. And because of that sin, there is a judgment. God sees everything, and there is a judgment, a condemnation that hovers over us over us like a, like a cloud. An eternal perishing awaits us all. And, you know, deep down, we all kind of know this. You know, deep down, we all feel this. We realize this. I mean, this is why we don't like silence in our car on the way home or on the bus or on the train. We We don't like silence because that's when we start hearing our conscience remind us of all the things that we've done. That's why we have a tough time sleeping at night where we're rolling and tossing because our conscience is chirping and reminding us of the thing that I said and the thing that I just did at work and that thing that I did to that family member or to my neighbor. And I want to silence it. And so I I try to seek all these different ways to distract myself. Like work, I I dive into work, I become a workaholic. Or I dive into Netflix and just watch season after season, just anything to distract me from hearing my conscience. Or maybe I dive into food. Or shopping to relieve myself of, of hearing about the guilt that I, that I carry. Now some of us though, they, we hear our, that guilt and it almost acts like a taskmaster that drives us. It drives us to try harder, to work harder. Maybe do some more good that kind of outweighs the bad. So that hopefully by doing a bunch of things, maybe even religious things, maybe just even coming to church checking some boxes. Maybe your good will outweigh your bad. And in the end, the math will kind of work out. But God says, the math never works out. And the distractions and the desserts never remove guilt. Only Jesus can. He's the only one who can come. Unless we turn Unless we turn to Jesus, then everything changes. This dark cloud of condemnation that hangs over every human being blows away. And all the guilt is removed. And all of our sins are forgiven. And eternal life is given. And God is able to move us from condemnation to salvation. For everyone who trusts in him. For there is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Not only does Jesus move us from death to life, from condemnation to salvation, but lastly what we see is that he is able to move us, all those who believe in him, from darkness to light. From darkness to light. Verse 19 and 20 bring this out. It says, and this is the judgment. This is the verdict. The light has come. Come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And does not come to the light. Lest his works should be exposed. You know, we've all done things we're ashamed of. We've all done things that we're kind of embarrassed about. Just like Adam and Eve, our very first parents, when they sinned, what did they do? They hid. They hid from each other. And when God showed up, they hid from him. And we've been hiding ever since. We don't like light because we don't want to be exposed. And so it's, we think it's safer to go hide in the dark and to hide ourselves because when we sin, we are guilty and guilt always is tied to shame and no one wants to be exposed. No one wants to be embarrassed and so let's hide. The darkness seems like a safe spot. The sad and even worse thing about darkness is that not only do we like to stay in the dark, but we actually begin to love the dark and doing dark things. And no one likes to be in the dark alone. And so we invite others to join us in our darkness because we kind of have this idea that, well, if there's more of us, then I'll probably feel less guilty and less shameful if there's more of us doing this. And that's how darkness works. But then God turns the lights on and he sends jesus christ into this dark world the light of the world is sent into our dark humanity and into our dark lives and he turns the lights on and what happens what happens have you ever had cockroaches in your house a friend of mine when we were living in kentucky he bought a house old house had been abandoned for a few years Needs some renovations. And when he walked in, one of the first things he noticed was that there was this fine silt, dirt, grime everywhere. Just everywhere. This, this dirty dust everywhere. All, on every surface. The floor, the counters, the table, even the walls. It was piled up in some spots. It was, it was everywhere. And he didn't know where it was coming from until he realized it was actually cockroach feces. Because when he turned the lights on, The whole floor would move with thousands of cockroaches fleeing the light, finding some sort of dark hole to hide in. When God turns the light on in your life, what do you do? Do you hide in the dark? Do you flee from the light and try to run? Or Are you afraid that the light of Christ might reveal something, expose something? That honestly, you just don't want exposed. You don't want brought into the light. What do you do when God turns on the light in your life? When Jesus showed up during his time on earth, this is how people responded to him they hid from the light. As we read a couple of months ago in John 1, it says, The light shines in the darkness. That's Jesus. And the darkness did not overcome it. The true light, that's Christ, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came to his own and his own people did not receive them. They didn't receive Jesus. They didn't come to the light. They'd rather stay in the dark. Stay away from the truth. I just kind of like it in the dark. I like my vantage point over here. I don't want to come to Jesus. But we need to realize The reason why God turns on the lights in our life was not, it's not to inform him. It's not for his benefit. God already knows everything. It's for our benefit so that we might actually see our sin for what it really is. That we might actually be humbled and realize, oh my goodness, I have done that. I have said that. I did think that. He turns the lights on for our benefit so that we can abandon our pride and abandon this idea of self-righteousness that I'm actually much better than I really think I am and God brings it into the light so that I might humble myself and turn away from what I used to think, thinking I might save myself and turn to the one he has sent, Jesus Christ, the very light of life. That's why he turns the lights on. It's not to mock us. It's not to embarrass us or condemn us. It's to help us see what he already sees. You're not not fooling God at all. He's calling you to come. Come into the light that you might see what he already sees and receive his love that is able to wash away all of your sins. Everything you're trying to hide He has made a way, a provision, in order to deal with it definitively and be forgiven, to move from darkness to light. This is why he's come, to rescue us by turning on the lights. We don't get life unless we come to the light. We have to come to the light. This is what verse 21 finishes off by saying, Whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen in, the, in his works that his works have been carried out in God. This is what happens to people who come to the light. Notice that just as somebody who did evil things, wicked things, dark things, did so because they loved darkness and they were in darkness. They had dark hearts. But now, verse 21 talks about that those who do true things, good things, right things, it's because that they are doing it from a heart that has been made new, that actually loves the light, that enjoys coming to the light. Well, what happened? What, what happened? I mean, there's... This person did everything they could to stay away from the light. This person actually loves the light and comes to the light. What happened? What change occurred? Jesus explains this back in verse 7 and 8. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The change of heart has happened. That's what changed. The change is that the heart changed. It was old and now it's new. It was dark and now it's light. There's been something called rebirth. Being born again. Being born from above. Being born by the Spirit of God. 2 Corinthians brings this out in even even greater detail where it says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Just like in the very beginning at creation, God speaks light into nothing, speaks light into darkness and suddenly there is light. God, he's got to send his son to save us, but he also has to send his spirit to regenerate us to reborn us, to rebirth us, to make us new spiritually so that with these new hearts, we can come to the light and trust in Jesus and be saved and receive eternal life. We get transformed from children of darkness into children of light. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And when we come to the light, it says that we actually become children of the light. Ephesians 5 goes into greater detail. It says, at one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Notice, he doesn't just say that you were in the darkness or that you did dark things. You were darkness. None of us think of ourselves like that outside of Christ. That has to be told to us from someone who knows everything. We were darkness, but now... We're not just in the light. We're not just doing light stuff, as in good things. We are light. Because the Spirit of God who caused us to be born again now lives in the children of God. And everyone who trusts in Jesus now has the Spirit of God in him or her, the very Spirit of Christ who is the light of the world. Cockroaches always flee from the light. But butterflies always fly to the light. Have you ever noticed that? There's lots of ways to identify a butterfly. But one of the ways is that they always fly to the light. They've been transformed. And one of the ways that you know that you've been born again is that you come to the light. You come to the light. That's your responsibility. God's responsibility is to give you a new heart to do so. But your responsibility is to come. The only way that you find out if you've been born again is in the rear view, in retrospect, when you've already come to the light. You realize that God must have done something. Your responsibility, in fact, God commands you to come to the light of his son, Jesus Christ. God will take care of the rest. He says in first, sorry, in John chapter one, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, who came to the light, He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. God arranged it this way so that we wouldn't be arrogant and proud, boasting in a way that we've saved ourselves or something like that. He arranged it in a way in which we would be saved and spared from that prideful arrogance and brought into a position of humility. And when we trust in him by faith, because that's the only way you can get to faith is through humility. No one who's proud ever trusts in God. God has to humble us in order to bring us into a position of faith. And when he does, then we realize what verse 21 is saying, that it was all carried out in God. It was all carried out in God. This whole time, he's the one who has been carrying us, sustaining us, moving us toward himself as he has moved toward us. And so that it is God who gets all the credit and the glory. Ephesians 2 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. When you trusted in Christ, when you came to the light. And that's not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of work, so that no one can boast. And so that, as Ephesians 1.6 says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Jesus, the beloved of God, has come. The light has come into the world because God so loved the world. He so loved you that he would send his son that you might not perish but have everlasting life. All you have to do is come. He is able to move you from death to life, from condemnation to salvation, from darkness to light. Will you come? Will you come to Jesus, the light? Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you that you're the kind of God that would do that. That love so moved you, love so compelled you to send your son your only son. Thank you, God. You, it was not easy for you to send your son. I'm sure you looked at all the options. And this is the only remedy. Who among us here, having been poisoned by sin and dying, would refuse the only remedy, the only antidote to our sin and death. Oh God, would you help everyone see the light this morning? Would everyone see Christ and come to him? Drink from the fountain of living water. Drink the remedy. Drink the antidote that takes care of our sin. That you might move us from death to life. You might move us from darkness to light. That you might save us and save us entirely. In Jesus' name.